Well, today we are continuing in our journey through Genesis, and um, we are in chapter 10 and 11, looking at these genealogies that uh, bring us to Abraham. And in a way, uh, these genealogies of, Hem, of, of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, sons of Noah, serve as like a seam, almost like when, you, you know, in our Torah, if you look at our Torah scroll carefully, uh, it is made up of, 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 of uh, pages. And the pages are sewn together, uh, and that makes for the whole uh, a Torah. Well, in a way, uh, the text is laid out that way. And in certain places, there are seams in the text that bring us from the end of one part to the beginning of another part. So on one level, the genealogies of chapter 10 and 11 serve as bringing us from the flood to Abraham, really. And of course, once you get to chapter 12, uh, there is uh, certainly a shift uh, taking place that we will explain you know, when we get to, to chapter 12. On another level, what we have uh, here in chapter 10 and 11 is an explanation, uh, just a further explanation of what it means when it says uh, that in uh, chapter 9 and verse 17, or not chapter 9 and verse 17, uh, verse 19 of uh, chapter 9. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. So chapters 10 and 11 help us to understand a little bit about that, about where, where the nations developed, where peoples, families uh, uh, developed. Very, very important. So you have here the descendants of Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And I want to make a few comments about them. Uh, some, um, I would suggest to us that some of uh, these uh, nations and names, nobody knows for sure, you know, for absolute sure, but there is, uh, generally speaking, conventional wisdom of, uh, of where everybody ended up. I, but I will say this right at the outset. We should never look at Ham, Shem, and Japheth as this is where everybody on this continent came from. This is where, you know, this is where everybody in, where in Europe came from. This is where everybody in uh, Africa came from. This is where everybody in Asia came from. It doesn't work that way. Uh, the text doesn't mean that. So very important, Okay. Because if you do a careful study, you will see that basically the one place that give that we that we have the uh, that we have the um, actual boundaries of now this is a little review from last week right is Canaan of a very little place all right uh, we do not have the directions or boundaries of the other places but of Canaan we do because of its centrality. The centrality of Canaan. Okay, we talked about Canaan uh, last time. You can listen to it and learn all about why Canaan is so prominent at the end of chapter nine and, and into chapter ten. Uh, but uh, it is important to recognize uh, in these genealogies that it is uh, indeed the the center. The nations basically are described. Uh, as uh, uh, ending up, n the nations, the, the three sons of Noah and their descendants, uh, according to the text here, end up around bodies of water 
frankly. Uh, the Nile, uh, what we commonly refer to as the Red Sea, the Mediterranean Sea, the Black Sea, and the Caspian Sea. And that basically forms almost like a circle uh, with Canaan being in the middle. And so you have North Africa, you have mostly like Turkey and Greece, uh, and, uh, and then you have reaching around uh, to what would be uh, the northern part of Iran today, the northern part of Persia, uh, and then Babylon and uh, the big Arabian uh, Peninsula area. So uh, these names uh, do not correspond to nations all over the world or even all over Europe. And even later on in history, some of these names were used to describe places that are far away from where they're located in this text, which tells you, of course, people migrated, right? Obviously. And so, uh, therefore, uh, when it comes to like who inhabited all of Africa in the ancient world, it's not all the Hamites, okay? There are other peoples that migrated. Same thing with what we call Europe uh, uh, today, what we call Asia, and, uh, and so on. But we see, uh, interestingly, where these nations uh, do originate, and peoples and families uh, originate. Okay, So there's a few other observations to make, and I think what I'll do is just read through this and pause along the way. All right. So now we see these are the, in chapter 10, these are the records of the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, the sons who were born to them, uh, and the sons who were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, and Magog, and Madai, and uh, Javan, and Tubal, and Meshach, uh, and Tiraz. They are conventional wisdom, so I'll say locates them almost exclusive, almost exclusively around Turkey and Greece, okay? Now, you know what's interesting about that? And I don't know if you've ever uh, uh, thought about that, thought about this. But, you know, when it goes back and it says, um, back in the blessing in chapter 9, when it says, uh, uh, may God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. So we said uh, last time that could mean several different things. You know, it can uh, refer uh, to the fact uh, that um, uh, Japheth is, uh, you know, moves around, migrates, okay, and that Japheth dwells in the tents of Shem. And we talked about the fact that there were two groups of people that, that came into Canaan, right? You have the Israelites and the Philistines. And the Philistines were the sea peoples, came from the other side of the Mediterranean, uh, descendants of, of uh, Japheth. And, so, and then it says, let Canaan be his servant. And so we see that they were the, the people that, that displaced or judged Canaan ends up being the Israelites and the Philistines, which goes to show you the, uh, the enemy of my enemy is not necessarily my friend. Uh, okay, uh, and there you go. Uh, uh, so that's kind of interesting. But there's another, another way of looking at this, uh, and, and that is, think about this. After Yeshua comes, 
where is the earliest places that we read about the good news going? It's very interesting, right? Where does Paul spend the majority of his time? An area that is called in the first century Asia Minor. Where is Asia Minor? Asia Minor is Turkey, Greece, and those environs, you know, in that neck of the woods on, um, north of Israel and then west, the area of uh, Japheth. So it's just kind of interesting when you, uh, when you have this blessing on Japheth and you see that the good news goes from Shem, you know, from uh, the sons of Israel to the Japhethites. So it kind of gives us maybe just a little fuller understanding maybe of this blessing on, on Japheth. So something to uh, think about. Okay, now, so that's where the sons live. Then it says, in verse 3, the sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz. Now, we have to stop right there. Now, we're thinking, oh, you see, that must be uh, the part of Europe, like where Germany is. Well, in the 10th or 11th century, uh, Jewish people began calling that Ashkenaz. But here, in the text, it is much closer to the Caspian Sea. Uh, which would be actually northeast. So it's rather interesting uh, that, um, you know, where these people ended up. But again, there was a great migration. All right? Okay. And then you have the sons of Jaban, uh, Elisha, Tarshish, Kitim, and Dodanim. Now, Tarshish uh, is perhaps related to Tarsus, but you see, we have to be careful that these names are extremely ancient. And just because they kind of sound like something else doesn't automatically mean that's what they are. Okay? Uh, however, uh, this could be in that area uh, uh, along the Mediterranean uh, where perhaps Spain in that area may, may be, Tarshish. Certainly when you uh, think about Jonah, you know, uh, Tarshish, and it's way out the Mediterranean. And conventional wisdom is it's around where Spain is uh, is today. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, from these, the coastlands, see, the coastlands of the nations were separated into their lands, every one according to his language, according to their families and their peoples. Nations, it doesn't mean, you don't want to use, think of countries, Okay but peoples, all right? So we said that last time that uh, you have here uh, for each one, for whether it's Ham, Shem, or Japheth, they're separated according to language, families, uh, and peoples. Okay. And then you have the sons of Ham, Cush, Mitzrayim, Put, and Canaan. Those four specifically, three of them are located, I believe, in North Africa, and, uh, and Canaan, and, you know, the land of uh, Canaan, right? Uh, and then you have uh, their sons, and their sons are located in a variety, interesting now, in a variety of places, uh, uh, along the Nile, in the Red Sea area, uh, but then also, as we'll see here, way over near Babylon. Kind of interesting. Perhaps they migrate uh, quite early. All right, so it says here, the sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, Sebtekai, and the sons of Rama were Sheba and Dedan, Sheba. 
in the, in the uh, Arabian uh, Peninsula. See? Now, Cush became the father of Nimrod. He became a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before, uh, before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. And from that land he went forth into Assyria and built Nineveh and Rehoboth, Ir and, uh, and Kalna. And resin between Nineveh and Kalna, that is, uh, the great city. So we might ask, why do we have all this information about this guy named Nimrod? Because of, may I suggest, the importance of Babel uh, and the power of, of Shinar. And what we're going to read uh, uh, as a big interruption in this uh, uh, genealogy of what we refer to as the Tower of, uh, of Babel. Uh, Nimrod is related to the Tower of Babel. Uh, and it's important to recognize, to see, uh, it's, it's founded by a mighty man, one might say, a mighty man. And when we take that and what happens in, Bab- in Babel, it will tell us uh, a pretty big lesson about something that God is conveying uh, in these verses. All right, and so you see then uh, Mitzrayim uh, became the father of Ludin and, Ami- and Anamim and Lebabim and uh, Naphtuhim and Pathrusim and Kalusim, from which came the Philistines and Kaphtorim. And so, uh, very interesting. And Canaan became the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth. All right. So, very interesting. We see where they come from. And we see that there's even uh, some overlap. Uh, overlap uh, as, uh, you know, as well. Well, very good. All right. I don't want to read all the rest of these names. You can read them on your own. But again, recognize that the point here uh, is that through the three sons of Noah come the families, the peoples uh, of the earth. And we see uh, where, where they begin uh, with Canaan being uh, in, the, in the center. Okay? All right. Uh, let's see, there's something else, some, some other things about this uh, genealogy that are kind of interesting. One is that there's 70 names, if you leave uh, Nimrod out, you know, but names of uh, the sons and where they, where they ended up. Uh, if you leave out Nimrod, you end up with 70, which is interesting. Uh, uh, perhaps a, a sort of a symbol of all of humanity. Uh, uh, comes from the three sons of Noah. Uh, similar to the way the rabbis view the offerings on Sukkot. The offerings on Sukkot, uh, number 70. And, and what is the wisdom of the rabbis? That it is the, the reason that you have 70 offerings on Sukkot is because of Israel interceding on behalf of all the nations uh, uh, of, of the world. So... That's uh, uh, rather interesting. There's a couple of other things. One is the fact that all of the peoples come from Noah 
tells us that God is indeed the God of all the nations uh, on the earth. And perhaps that's why we read about Nimrod uh, when it talks about Nimrod, not necessarily as a worshiper of God, uh, but a mighty man before the Lord. In that uh, whether people recognize, uh, recognize him or not, God is the king over all the earth. Now, it's interesting because, you know, in the ancient world, the conventional wisdom there was that uh, their enemies had other gods, the, enem- the, uh, the enemies of the Egyptians or the enemies of, uh, of the Assyrians or of the Babylonians, that they had other, uh, that they had other gods. Here we see uh, that coming, generating out of, of all of these peoples uh, is not only uh, Canaan, but also Israel, right? The Shemites come, uh, uh, are in this very same long uh, genealogy. So on one hand, Israel is part and parcel. There's a commonality of all the nations uh, of, of the world. We don't read in particular that any one is better than another or good or bad. We're just, we see them all kind of laid out here. Uh, uh, but on the other hand, uh, as we'll see, the Shemites is a longer genealogy, and also it's at the end, which, which uh, conveys to us its, its preeminence. It's long, and it's at the end. And of course, as we all know, because you've all read ahead, right? I trust that it's going to take us right to Abraham, see? So while there is a preeminence of the Shemites, uh, uh, there is not of the Israelites, uh, as we'll see, as we see here, uh, 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 and that God is the God of the whole earth and of all of the, all of the nations. So it's very interesting because right here we see... You know, in a genealogy that we usually pass over, there's a lot uh, to uh, to discern uh, and uh, and to uh, and to understand. All right, now let us uh, read. I, I want us. To, we're going to come back to the Shem genealogy in chapter ten. We're going to come back to that, but I want us to jump down to chapter eleven right now, and let's look at the first good old nine verses, which is the Tower of Babel story, and recognize that it is surrounded by genealogy, okay? Surrounded by genealogy. So it says, the whole earth used the same language and the same words. Uh, That is understood to to mean uh, not only the same language, but even the vocabulary. And it came about as they journeyed east. Remember, they're always heading east. Bad things happen heading east. You know, Adam and Eve leave Eden, uh, Cain, and so on and so forth. Okay. Uh, it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Shinar, where have I heard that name before? Oh, Nimrod, right. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So we see that they are all located uh, in the uh, in the same place, right? Uh, uh, and there's a, a desire 
uh, to not uh, be nomadic, right? Uh, so the whole earth used the same language, the same words, and as they journeyed east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Now we might ask ourselves, how could that be if we just read that these nations are like scattered all over the place, right? Well, perhaps it's not in chronological order, all right? Uh, that's uh, very helpful, I think, for us to, uh, to think about. There's, there's a number of different explanations for, for this. One could be that uh, the people who are at Shinar is a representative of peoples that, are, that live in a variety of places. And that the language and the words that they spoke was a lingua franca, was a, like a language that would be like a universal language, just like, you know, how English kind of uh, functions that way around the world. People speak lots of different languages, but in, you go to most nations in the world, uh, you'll find people speaking English. Uh, and, and in uh, Yeshua's day, that might have been Aramaic, perhaps. You know, so perhaps there was a, uh, a connecting language uh, that, that people understood. It, you know, it could, refer, it could refer to that. Or it could be that where all of these descendants end up happens after uh, this event takes place, when God scatters people all over the world. Okay? All right. But don't get hung up on it and miss the point. Okay? That's maybe a great, uh, important lesson for us to learn. All right? All right. So uh, they say, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. So in the ancient world, in Babylon, you had people who built these uh, uh, ziggurats. Uh, I don't know what the plural ziggurats, ziggurutim, I don't know. Well, I, uh, these uh, uh, kind of like pyramids but also like a tower that would, that would uh, the, the, the idea was, was to be preeminent. And, and you even have uh, archaeological discoveries that have names on some of these that have names like Gate of Heaven uh, and things related to, uh, you know, to that uh, very thought. But also, even in the text of the Torah, in Deuteronomy, we read that that phrase, reaching up to heaven, is used in a couple of places that are used to show people's uh, st uh, uh, strength, st how, how strength was uh, 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 perceived. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, we see this, if you're interested. In Deuteronomy, in the first chapter, describing in the Deuteronomy version of what the uh, leaders of the tribes, when they returned uh, from uh, investigating uh, the land and, uh, you know, and how overpowering uh, the, the people in the land were, it says, where can we go up? In verse 28, our brethren have made our hearts melt, saying the people are bigger and taller than we. The cities are large and fortified to heaven and fortified to heaven. Uh, meaning powerful, huge, big, okay? And uh, you see this in, uh, in several other places as well, even regarding Babylon in Deuteronomy 9, verse 1, in Jeremiah 51, verse 53. You can look 
you can look that up. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, we see here uh, not just like a religious quest to reach heaven, but human hubris and pride uh, and human uh, progress and, and ingenuity and the celebration of what we might call you know, humanism, a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name a name, a reputation, and we, and we will, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So it's kind of interesting when you put that together with how Nimrod is described, a powerful man, a builder of cities, and the desire of uh, mankind at uh, Shinar here to build this uh, Migdal, uh, uh, this uh, tower, a uh, uh, fortified tower uh, into the sky, in, into heaven. Uh, we see here a little bit of uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Because, let's face it, in a way, this is what was going on way back in the Garden of Eden. Independence. Not dependence on God. We know better. We want to uh, be like God, knowing good and evil, Right? We want to be like God. We are indeed uh, a God. By definition, that is indeed what Adam and Eve uh, were ended up uh, striving for and what we, see, uh, what we see right here. Here we see it as in the form of a, uh, in the form of a, a city. And the Lord came down. Now that's kind of, it's almost humorous. So they build a tower to reach heaven, but they didn't quite get there, did they? Because God has to come down. It's kind of interesting. So the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the son of men had built. The sons um, which the uh, sons of men had built. That phrase, sons of men, that humankind builds. God comes down to see it. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people. And they have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing uh, which they purpose to do will be impossible uh, uh, for them. And so we see here God is going to, uh, just like with Adam and Eve, he saves them from themselves. Adam and Eve, remember that them getting kicked out of the Garden of Eden saved their lives ultimately. As well as the same thing here. What is a judgment has long-term consequences that lead to blessing. What seems like a chastisement and a judgment here in the long term leads to blessing. Okay? And so, we, so then we see, Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there, over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building this city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. So we see a couple of things. We see that, indeed, uh, our mind, is, by the words that are used, our mind is sent back to creation. Uh, let us make man in our own image right? Let us go down and confuse 
uh, uh, their, their language. So we see here uh, uh, this um, uh, statement about God and, uh, and as we said earlier about come let us uh, go down and confuse uh, their, their language. Uh, certainly it speaks of the essence of God and the, the inner uh, relationship of God to himself. And it does remind us, in one way or another, it does certainly reminds us of uh, the fact that God is indeed an essence. God is a unity. Uh, and that is why Yeshua, people say, how could Yeshua pray? Uh, if you say that he is the incarnation of God, how could he pray? Was he praying to himself? Well, you see it right, right here. Come, let us go down and confuse uh, their, their language. Uh, the, the essence of God uh, uh, communicating. Okay? There are other uh, possibilities, but I think that is something that certainly stands out for us as Messiah followers. All right. Uh, and so uh, their language is confused uh, so that they don't understand each other's speech. Uh, and then the Lord scatters them abroad over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. I, I, and then, of course, we see the name is called ba, uh, Bavel because the Lord confused their language. I, and th that's an interesting uh, statement as well. That be evidently became the conventional wisdom of understanding the meaning of Bavel, confused uh, their language. And, of course, Shinar is uh, ultimately a Babylon. Uh, and uh, uh, so, you know, Babylon plays a very interesting role uh, in the scriptures uh, in relationship to uh, in relationship to Israel, uh, in relationship to God and, and what He is doing in the world. So, uh, right here, all the way back in uh, Genesis chapter uh, eleven, uh, we we see this. So. Right here in the middle, we see that, okay, we have the families of the earth uh, and where they begin to migrate. Uh, and then here in chapter 11, we see that let's not get the idea that, uh, uh, that they ended up uh, moving forward with, uh, you know, in a, in, in a better situation than they had been before. We see with uh, Noah and with Ham what happened. We saw that last time. But here we see that human nature uh, is, uh, you know, is indeed uh, uh, still, uh, still the same. So that brings us, well, first, I guess I should say this about Babel. So when we say the more things change, the more they stay the same, we're not only referring back to uh, Adam and Eve, but going the other direction. When you think of the great empires of the world, uh, and the hubris, the, the pride, the, the pride of kings and of peoples, and, uh, and of the desire to always be conquering more land, uh, and to be victorious. One thing that every world empire has in common is that it ultimately falls. It ultimately falls. And it's important because when you go back, if you remember, when we were talking about Cain, and the descendants of Cain, and where they go, we see that there uh, are, uh, are a little uh, uh, gaps here of a few verses here and there that talk about, you know, the beginnings of cities uh, and the beginnings of art and, and culture, right? 
And when, you, and when you go here and you look at this genealogy a few chapters later with Nimrod, uh, you know, the founder of a great culture and of a great city that turns out to be Babylon. And then we see that in Babylon, there's a desire uh, to be independent of God, to build a tower to the heavens. And we see that God is not intimidated. In fact, God must come down to see it. And that God is indeed sovereign over every empire, over every people. It doesn't matter if they believe in the God of Israel. God is still the sovereign over those nations. We should never get the idea that because a nation, for in our world today, for example, a nation embraces Islam, that does not mean that like God's hand is too short that it cannot save, right? Oh, that reminds me of a verse. God's hand is not so short that it, that it cannot save. Uh, and it's quite interesting, you know, when you read the Gospels, it's no coincidence that Yeshua, uh, he, uh, you know, um, ministers to people that are not Jewish. And not only that, you know, outside of the boundaries of Israel, but not only that, but if you remember uh, the, uh, when uh, he's uh, at the synagogue in Nazareth, uh, that um, first the people are quelling over him, saying, Oi, look who he is! And then he goes on to, uh, to talk about how, uh, you know, uh, Elijah uh, and Elisha healed people uh, that were uh, from the north country and elsewhere. Uh, and, uh, and he's making the, that's why they get mad at him, uh, because he's making the case that God is the God of, uh, of the nations and not only of Israel and how that um, close to home they're going to reject him, but people far away will believe and so on and so forth. Uh, so God is indeed the Lord of the nations, and so he judges Nimrod and Shinar and, uh, and, and all of that. And what a great lesson uh, that is to us, that we, in our culture, in our world, we cannot build a tower to God, to the heavens. Uh, uh, that uh, human ingenuity and, and what we call nationalism and, and all of that uh, does not empower us. We may think it does, just like they did. But God will have, indeed, uh, God will have the final say. Uh, and it is not until all of these, uh, all of these nations uh, 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 come and worship uh, the God who made them, uh, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, in Yeshua the Messiah, that there will indeed be this return to Eden. And, uh, and peace. But we're not quite done here yet, because then we have the rest of this genealogy. So you have uh, Babel, which, which shows us that mankind is full of hubris and that God is the sovereign and the all-powerful, even among all these nations of the earth. But you see that back in chapter 10, as I told you, we'd come back to the sons of Shem in chapter 10. So after we read about the sons of Ham and where they end up, then we read about the Shemites. And then if you look in, uh, in chapter 11, in verse 10, these are the records of the generations of Shem. So it turns out that the Tower of Babel story is located 
right in the middle of Shem's genealogy, of what's being talked about, just about Shem. Now, that's, this is interesting. Why, could, why is this? Why not Ham? Why? It would make sense with Ham and Japheth because that's where Shinar is, uh, you know, is, is located. So it's rather interesting. So let's look first, beginning in verse 21 of chapter 10. And also to Shem, the father of the children of Ever, okay, uh, the older brother of Japheth, children were born. See, the older brother. Okay, so there's uh, some uh, preeminence to, uh, to Shem. Okay, so it says here, the sons of Shem were Elam and Asher and uh, Arpachad and Lud and Aram. The sons of Aram were Uz, Hul, Gefer, Mash. Arkpashad became the father of Shelah. Shelah became the father of Ever. The two sons born to Ever, the name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. And his brother's name was Joktan. Then Joktan became the father of Almadad, Shelef, and uh, that guy right there, uh, Hazamaveth, and Jerah, and, and the rest of them. Okay. I, I, now the point is here, these people, these sons of Shem, is basically the people who live in the Middle East. The sons of Shem are not just uh, the uh, Israelites, the sons of Shem, and also not just Ishmaelite, the sons of, of Ishmael. Sons of Ishmael form one, one part, okay? But the, uh, the sons of Shem are the peoples that populate the Middle East. You'll notice a focus here on verse 24, 25, and 26. When it says Arkbashai became the father of Shelah, Shelah became the father of Ever. I, I, uh, perhaps, perhaps, uh, Ever is the original name of, uh, uh, of where we get in English Hebrew. Ivri, Ivri, Ivrit, Ivri, Hebrew. Okay? Ever. It's kind of interesting. The two sons were born to, by the way, uh, uh, just so that doesn't go, Ivrit is how you say Hebrew in Hebrew. Okay, there you go. So Hebrew and Hebrew is Ivri. Okay, there you go. Uh, the two sons that were born to Ever, the name of one was Peleg and the other one is Joktan. Now do you notice in verse 26, we don't read any more about Peleg. We only read about Joktan. Okay, and then that takes us into the Tower of Babel. Peleg, we don't read anything about him. We just read about uh, Joktan or Yaktan and his descendants and then it takes us into Babel. Okay. Now, on the other side of Babel, we have once again the, uh, the genealogy of Shem. And part of it is the same, except when you go down to 16. Save a little time. Verse 16. And ever, now we're in 1116. And it has been repeating, basically, this genealogy of Shem. But notice now, And ever lived 34 years and became the father of Peleg. And Ever lived 430 years, and he became the father of Peleg, and he had other sons and daughters. Peleg lived 30 years, he became the father of Ru. Peleg lived 200 years and nine years, became the father of Ru, uh, after he became the father of Ru, and he had other sons and daughters. All right, so now this is going to move down. And where do we end up? We end up with Abraham, on the other side of the Tower of Babel. So it's kind of interesting that uh, the way the genealogy is written 
that the descendants of Shem that end up with Abraham are not mentioned leading into the Tower of Babel. But we could say that coming out of this scattering of nations, coming out of this uh, sin of great hubris that, that God takes and, and scatters uh, everybody uh, uh, you know, across the, uh, the face of the earth, out of there comes a line out of Shem that takes us to the Deliverer. And so if you remember, when we go back to uh, uh, Noah, remember what we, we said there, that God makes a promise that he's not going to destroy the earth. No, he's going to deliver the world. He's going to deliver the world, and he's going to deliver the world in a most unusual way, and that is through fallen humanity. And what we're going to see now is when you go down to verse 24, Nahor lived 29 years, became the father of Terach. Nahor, and then verse 25, Nahor lived 119 years. Andrew became the father of Terach, and he had other sons and daughters. Terach lived 75 years, became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Evidently, Nahor Jr. Okay? Uh, now, these are the records of the generations of Terach. Terach became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terach in the land of, of his birth, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Okay. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, we'll actually save this last part of chapter 11 for, for next time. But the point we want to see here is that out of the three sons of Noah, yes, come all of mankind, and we see where they originally kind of land, uh, we see that mankind is still full of hubris uh, and, uh, and sin, uh, but that God is indeed and tells us right here in Genesis that no matter what's going to happen, God is king over all the earth. And that God's love for this world is such that through this one son line of Shem is going to come first a man and, uh, you know, and, then, uh, and then a nation, 12 sons. Uh, and, and then we're going to see that it is going to then narrow down to one of those sons, Judah and his tribe, and then an individual within that tribe, uh, David, and then a descendant of David, and ultimately Yeshua. And it's very interesting because remember we said that the Shemites, the Shemites begin uh, basically the people of um, the uh, people of um, of the of the uh, Arabian uh, area, and as well as. Well, the, as well as Canaan, well, the edge of the, the edge, the far edge of the, of the, uh, of the Arabian uh, Peninsula, of, of that the far eastern edge, is right there at Babylon. And that is where Ur of the Chaldeans is. And that is where, that is where the father of Israel starts out. A Shemite, way far away. And we see how how God will bring him on a journey into Canaan. 
Uh, and uh, and it, so it, it shows us really just uh, how much God loves this world because out of these three sons of Noah who try to build this, uh, this tower, God is going to bring deliverance. God is going to bring uh, deliverance. And so even though the sons of men build that tower, it is the son of man who's going to come and bring the real uh, deliverance. And finally, you know, in um, Isaiah chapter 45, we read these words. There we go. In Isaiah 45, beginning in verse 20. Think about this in light of the table of nations, as it's called in this genealogy. Gather yourselves and come, draw near together, you fugitives of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idol and pray to a God who cannot save. Declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from of old? Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and Savior. There is none except me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, you sons of Ham, Shem, and Japheth. For I am God, and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me every knee bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him, and all who are angry at him shall be put to shame. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. And that is, those words are in the mind of Paul when he says this in the book of Philippians in the second chapter, when he says that Yeshua, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, being obedient to the point of death, even death on that tree. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Yeshua every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and under the, and under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Yeshua the Messiah is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so isn't it amazing that out of those nations comes Shem, comes this one Shemite, uh, uh, Abraham. And ultimately, he has a descendant who is indeed the very incarnation of God. And then we read about him here in Philippians, that we should have this attitude in, in ourselves, which was also in Messiah Yeshua, who, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on that tree. So that, so that God loves us so much that he brings deliverance out of, out of this genealogy of Shem comes our deliverance. Uh, and in order to deliver mankind. And that is why we read passages like God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, right? Uh, uh, not to judge the world, but to give us eternal life. And so very important that uh, when, when we look at the world today, as we said last week, and, and people who claim, 
claim to know God in the Bible are all about separating peoples uh, and about putting people, different peoples in order, uh, you know, of a primacy, that uh, uh, what we see here is that out of this, out of this morass of humanity, ultimately comes one out of Shem, Yeshua, the Israelite, Yeshua, the Jew, comes to save mankind. We read in the Gospel of John, salvation is from the Jews. Uh, and if only the nations, uh, the nations uh, whom we're all related to, uh, under, understood that, that, that in, this, in this way that uh, we would never fathom God has chosen to bring deliverance, not judgment, but deliverance uh, to this uh, world. So as we will continue, we'll uh, get now to, uh, to uh, Abram and uh, God's plan of deliverance through his descendants. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this great reminder that our own ingenuity and our own hubris, and our own patting ourselves on the back, all that is building a tower. Lord, may we recognize, God, that you are indeed the king, and that you have called us to varieties of cultures and peoples. And thank you, uh, Lord, that uh, we don't know why, the text doesn't tell us why, but that you chose Abram to be the father of people who would bring deliverance to this world, and to bring unity, to bring reconciliation and all of that. And so, Lord, may we truly be people that bring reconciliation as we embrace Yeshua, as we see, as we understand in his resurrection that he is indeed the Lord. And as we gather under, uh, as uh, people from many languages, uh, many uh, uh, cultures, many nations, many tribes, as the Bible says, Lord, may we find unity and peace under the lordship of Yeshua. And God, thank you that just as we said at the beginning of our service, uh, just a little taste of the world to come, when indeed every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Yeshua is Lord. And so, God, we thank you, God, that your desire is to redeem this humanity in Yeshua the Messiah. Thank you, Lord, for the, the first fruits that we have of that today. We pray in Messiah's name.